Live from the Jacob Media Studios, it's Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough on News Talk 1400 WOND. Be inspired, learn and understand the power of becoming a servant leader and transform your life while serving our nation. Meet those who have served our country. Learn about prosperity and overcome sickness, poverty, and despair. Serving Our Nation begins right now. Good afternoon and welcome to episode 32 of Serving Our Nation on News Talk 1400 WOND. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and if today is your first time tuning into the program, I just want to briefly share with you the heart behind Serving Our Nation. This is a program that is focused on encouraging people to become servant leaders, and my goal is to offer you hope and encouragement by sharing with you stories of people each week that live their lives focused on servant leadership and honoring God. Because what I know is that when you do that, blessings just naturally follow from that as a byproduct, not something you need to seek, but just a natural gift from the Lord. And what I really know to be true is that all of us are given very special gifts, and because of that, we're all called to be ministers of some kind, such that when we see a need, it is our obligation to fill that need, because serving is for everyone in all walks of life, whether you're in the military, a business leader, a faith leader, you're in your community, or even something as simple as serving in your family. And we've had amazing guests in each of those different areas over the last several months. But just last week, we had Michael and Kathleen Van Stein as our guests, and they talked about this idea of serving brings out the best in us. And they had sacrificed really their entire life savings, their pension, to be able to start this nonprofit that they do. And one of the things that they really shared with us is that when you do that kind of sacrifice, it brings about life change in people that they never forget. Very, very powerful. If you didn't hear episode 31, I encourage you to go back and listen to that. So just a little bit about me that's relevant for today's show. Uh, I have an opportunity to travel quite a bit and attend various conferences. And because of that, I now have two really great guests for today in the area of faith. My first guest is Mr. Glenn Bloomstrom. He's a military and faith community representative in an organization called Living Works. And he's also an adjunct professor for pastoral counseling. My second guest is Dr. Van Strum. He was the former director of chaplaincy operations at the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, the former president of the American Correctional Chaplain Association, and he currently serves as a peer ministry consultant for Prison Seminaries Foundation. So when we come back from the break, I'll be joined by Mr. Glenn Bloomstrom. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough, a Jacob Media Production. Welcome back to Serving Our Nation on News Talk 1400 WOND. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and I'm joined here today by Mr. Glenn Blomstrom. Glenn, you on the line? Yes. Good afternoon, Paul. It's good to meet with you and the listeners this afternoon. Hey, Glenn, first of all, thank you so very much for taking the time out of your Sunday with everything else you have going on to join us here on the program today. It's my pleasure. Thanks 
so much for the opportunity. Well, Glenn, looking through your bio and having an opportunity to speak with you at length when we last saw each other at the conference, there's a lot of different things about your background that I want to speak with you about, but I think maybe a good starting place is your call to ministry, because it seems like that's where a lot of your other work has sprouted from. So can you just tell us a little bit what that was like for you, how and when God called you to ministry? Indeed, yes. Well, I grew up in a military family and uh, was born in Japan, lived around the world, but we had family roots in central Minnesota. And so when my, uh, when I retired, when my dad retired, I was 14 and uh, moved to the, to the country. And uh, we attended several different churches, my, my grandparents' church. And, and uh, when I attended one church, uh, it was a Lutheran church, they invited me to go to a crusade a Billy Graham crusade, actually, and I was the only student that went. Wow. <laughs> and uh, they took me and dropped me off in St. Paul, Minnesota, and there I went to that crusade, and that really was when I made a, a, a real heartfelt commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and, uh, and really committed my, myself to follow Him. And then I went on to a denominational school where I got a good foundation, and then I thought I'd just flunked out, you know, but <laughs> God helped me to get through that, and then the seminary, and growing up in the military, I, I felt a, a real calling to serve as an army chaplain, and so, in a nutshell, uh, you know, good people, solid churches, youth ministers, young adult ministers, uh, great schools, all of that shaped and, and nurtured that call to ministry. So, Glenn, you know, when I was reading your bio, I was very struck by how humble you are. So, you know, you mentioned that you served the military, you mentioned that you were a chaplain, but in your bio, you very briefly state that you went to the War College. And so what that means to me is that you were at least a lieutenant colonel, probably a colonel. Is that right? Yes, God and his kindness and his humor, perhaps, uh, just allowed me to move through those gates and some wonderful education and, and experience. And yes, I was able to uh, attain the rank of colonel, and they always send colonels to this war college, which yep. is about strategy. It's mm -hmm. about political science, and, and just expanded my, my, my worldview, I guess, at that point in my career. Yeah. So... How did you serving in the military for that long and becoming a colonel and going to the war college, like how did that shape your perspective on servant leadership and then bring you to where you're at now with Living Works? What was that like for you? Well, I think always as a chaplain, the rank colonel is prestigious. Yeah. It's really something. Yeah. But for, for any military chaplain, especially in the Army, our rank is in parentheses. Indeed. Our title, our, our title is always chaplain. Yep. And so we were chaplain, and so the rank helped me to get things done. But you know, God guides, God opens doors, and as we, you know, walk with Him, He allows us to have that influence. And so I, I had this opportunity to be in the Pentagon, selecting training, and that's when I was introduced to Living Works, a suicide intervention training company. Mm. And that's when I retired. That's 
who I work with most of the time, but I'm also a, a professor at a small seminary as well. So then that was a pretty smooth transition for you. If you were in the Pentagon and you were doing a lot of work with suicide prevention, it would, I would imagine, be a pretty smooth changeover to go with Living Works and really just a continuation of the ministry you're doing. It was a, a relatively smooth transition. Uh, I was full-time at the seminary for a year. Okay. But I really missed interacting with a wide variety of people. Yeah. You know, from different denominations, different church settings, and I really missed interacting with military chaplains. So I focused on chaplains initially for the first about six years. And really the last five years, I've really shifted now to focusing on training and equipping ministry leaders, as, as well as chaplains. But my, my real focus these days is to try to equip ministry leaders to better respond when they think they have a family member or friend or congregational member who's thinking of suicide. So, Glenn, can you just unpack for a little bit why suicide prevention is so important to you? Because I think you and I both know how prevalent it is, especially in the military community. But maybe the listeners don't know, and maybe they don't know what it is that they can do. Maybe as people that are untrained, things that they can do at their level to help a veteran or a service member make a better choice than hurting themselves. Absolutely, Paul. That's a great question, and there's several aspects of that question. First, you know, I think our training makes us better human beings. Yes. Human being skills are what we need. And, you know, what, what are we talking about? Someone who's willing to ask, someone who's willing to take a risk and ask, Things are very different, and I've just noticed some changes. Are you thinking of suicide? You know, so to ask clearly and directly, we always talk about asking related to the things and the changes we see. So it's so important for ministry leaders to be trained in these skills, but also to lead that more members and leaders and people of faith are trained to be better human beings and get close to that very frightening topic that is shrouded with a lot of stigma and taboo. But to step into that place and ask, and to know what to do if a person says yes. Yeah, that is so important. And Glenn, from your foxhole, what is the stats right now on the number of veterans and service members that make an attempt or actually uh, successful in hurting themselves? Well, right now, I just saw late this last week in the news feed that we are seeing another spike in active duty suicides. Mm. But nationally, and for most of your listeners who probably are not in Department of Defense, right. We see the numbers of suicides among Vietnam-era veterans. Makes sense. And older veterans who now are no longer working. And that perhaps they've been self-medicating for a long time. Yeah. They may be estranged from their families. These are the ones that we're very concerned about when we talk about that 20 a day. But the number of our younger 
um, military veterans who are now in school or maybe they're in between. That has the highest rate among veterans of the younger population, the highest numbers of the older veterans, but the highest rate of younger veterans. Those all three groups serving in the DOD, younger veterans, older veterans, they're all a concern today. Absolutely. So, Glenn, I'm curious, you know, you don't just wake up one morning and start ministering to people in the area of suicide prevention. I, I would think that God had to have prepared you for this ministry in a special way. Maybe that you had an experience or somebody poured into your life or, you know, something that touched your heart to make it so important and compelling for you. Well, I would say the primary motivators for me as a young chaplain and even as an experienced chaplain was having a soldier in my unit die by suicide mm. and running into the barracks and seeing the aftermath yes and then seeing the impact on my unit and soldiers and then also very very in my senior period of time of serving i had a chaplain that was serving for me take his life by suicide i knew he oh was struggling gosh. he was getting help but he turned a corner and acted on thoughts even after he was getting help. And we can't take that for granted that that might not help. Right. That's why we need to stay close to people even after they, you know, have admitted they've had thoughts. So those are big motivators for me. And um, at the early part of my career and at the later part of my career. So clearly this is not an easy job. And it takes a lot of heart work to be able to pour into somebody and make that difficult ask and take that risk. But I'm curious, what blessings might you have received from all the ministry that you've done in this area, both as a chaplain and now with Living Works? Well, the greatest blessing is for those that have gotten help. Yes. And those who were thinking of suicide admitted that. You know, there's probably... Um, 25 times more, uh, for youth, for example, 25 more that attempt to everyone that dies. And I'm not, I can't remember right now the ratio of adults, but we say that between 3.5 to 5.5% of the U.S. population at any time might be considering suicide. So the greatest blessing is to save a life from suicide. But Amen. also the greatest blessing is to come alongside those who have lost loved ones and then for them to embrace that the understanding that suicide is a mystery and that they have now become advocates for better training, for better awareness, and for training that will give the confidence for others to ask. So that's a blessing to see people take the suffering, take the intense pain, and to move forward. That's a real blessing for me as well. Amen. Well, I know that you also mentioned earlier that you have a dual role. You also serve as an adjunct professor, you know, I think, in pastoral counseling. So I'm curious, what was the most memorable moment that you had during that time? You know, maybe where you're able to speak life into a student or really help a, a light bulb come on for them, if you will. Yes, well, that's a joy, Paul. I, I 
you know, with my work with suicide prevention, often it's, it's, you know, strategic, it's uh, talking to agencies and groups to engage training. But really working with uh, students, preparing for ministry is a real blessing. I, I teach a marriage class, I teach a basic counseling skill classes, classes, and there's nothing more rewarding than having a graduate come back to me and say, Glenn, you know, I'm using everything you taught me. It was so practical. You know, I'm, I'm applying those skills, and, and I've gone through struggles in my marriage, and what you said was really true. You know, when I run across them, you know, two, three, five years later, that's a joy of being an educator and seeing that your work lives on in, in those you've trained. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. You know, I just started teaching as an adjunct professor for Drexel in organizational business. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it, it is such a joy to me when the students come up and they say that they really like the class because I'm trying to give them real world examples of how right. the principles in a textbook play out. And, you know, let's it's amusing to have a textbook and test and quizzes and all of that. But I want you to really be able to absorb the information and put it to you. So I absolutely agree with what you're saying there. Yes, indeed. <laughs> well, so I also, we got about uh, two and a half minutes left, and okay. I, I really want to get from you, you know, you have all these different things going on, and you've done ministry for such a long time, chaplain, living works, adjunct professor. How do you maintain a balance with your family and uh, with all the different things that you're doing? How do you keep all those hats straight? Well, I really do put the job on hold at a certain time in the evening. Today, we're so connected with cell phones and such, and I, I have some hobbies. Uh, believe it or not, uh, one of my real joys is getting on a BMW motorcycle and, and cruising down back roads. You know, I would say have a hobby, and then also continue to be involved in a small group or in, in, in meals and dinners with other couples. Take time to invest in relationships. So have a hobby and don't feel guilty for taking time for that hobby, that leisure, and then also make time for relationships uh, and invest in new relationships. We love to invite people over after church to have a meal. And, you know, for people that are very, very busy, invite people to your home. Take time. And I'll, I'll tell you, it's refreshing. You know, yes, it's, it's some work to put together a nice meal, but sometimes have people over for a piece of pie or coffee and just tell your stories and invest in one another. That is balance. And then also I would say take time for exercise. That's a gift that the military gave me that I still love. You know, I go for walks with my wife, but I try to do, you know, a good 45 minutes to an hour during the work week. Um, of exercise. So balance is important. Amen. Glad oh, I, I couldn't oh, agree with you more. Should, Go ahead. I should say, take time for prayer. Yes. Take time for reading the Word as well. Yes. Uh, I, I don't want to leave Love that it. off, Paul. Absolutely. <laughs> hey, Glenn, I couldn't agree with you more, and I want to thank you so much for taking time again out of your Sunday to be on the program. It has been such a blessing to listen to your story and just to be able to share that with the listeners and so they can know how important it is to, again, take that risk and make that ask and help to save a life. Thank you so much, Glenn, Absolutely. for being on the program. Thank you, Paul. God bless you and your ministry and, and all of your listeners. 
We're just praying for God to continue to use people to take care of other people. Amen. All right. Take care. Thanks, Glenn. Thanks. Listen, when we come back from the break, I'll be joined by Dr. Van Strum. So stay with us. We'll be right back. If you're interested in connecting with Dr. Paul McCullough or interested in being featured on the show, contact Jacob Media Partners via LinkedIn. Now, back to Serving Our Nation. Welcome back to Serving Our Nation on News Talk 1400 WOND. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and I'm joined here today by Dr. Vance Drum. Dr. Drum, you on the line? Yes. Hey, first of all, thank you so very much for taking the time out of your Sunday to be on the program here today. Good. Not a problem. Glad to be here. Well, Dr. Drum, listen, when I was looking through your bio and when you and I had a chance to chat at the conference a few weeks ago, I was really taken by your heart for prison ministry and how long that you've served in that capacity. So I wonder if you might mind sharing with the listeners why the call to that particular ministry of serving as a prison chaplain and in the prison system for so long? Well, uh, as I said to you at that conference, I've been in prison ministry for about 40 years but I was a reluctant minister in general, and uh, God had to move heaven and earth to get me into it. I was saying out loud, I will not be a pastor, not be a prison minister at all. And so it was really an accident how I got into prison chaplaincy. <laughs> so I was pastoring a church in Dallas County in the early uh, 1980s, and um, there was a driver uh, who was looking for a particular minister uh, to be a, a volunteer in the Dallas County Jail and the Texas prison system, and he was looking for a particular church, but it wasn't me and it wasn't my church, but the road was icy, and he was a bad driver who later died in a car wreck, and he slid on the ice into the driveway of my church on wow. a Wednesday night. And I was inside uh, teaching a Bible study. His wife was with him. She was nervous. She said, uh, Wes, uh, I know this isn't the church that you're looking for, and the pastor's not here, but why don't we get off this road and go in and, and see what's happening? So they came in, sat through the Bible study. At the end of it, he asked if I'd be willing to go to lunch with him to find out about prison ministry and chaplaincy and volunteer, and I said yes. So we went to lunch, and I began working three hours a week, volunteer for no pay in the Dallas County Jail. So... That was an accident, right? Except maybe God doesn't do accidents. Yeah, I agree with that. Absolutely. There are no accidents with God. And right. so you mentioned even before you got into prison ministry, you were serving as a pastor. So how did you get into yes. ministry to begin with? Like, what made you even get into even being a pastor? Well, uh, uh, when I became a Christian as a teenager, I said for 15 years out loud, uh, Paul, I was not going to be a preacher. I was not going to be a pastor. I didn't know what I was going to do when I grew up, but that's one thing I knew I was not going to do. So I said that <laughs> until I was 30. And and when I turned 30, uh, the Lord arranged some things in my life, and that's why it's good to stay open to God if you're a Christian man or woman. Yep. So he uh, set some things up. Um, namely a recession in the country. That was the early 80s. Mm -hmm. And I was in my hometown in Indiana. It was an auto town. The unemployment rate in that town was 26%. And I was looking full-time for a job, any job. And I had a wife and two kids. And so uh, finally I 
uh, found three jobs all at once. One of them was a little country church, 140 years old. They had six members left. They did not want to close because they all loved each other. And they knew me from when I grew up in that, in that uh, area, uh, 20 years, about 10 years earlier. And they called me and said, would you come out and preach for us on Sunday? Wow. And I, had, I was a graduate of Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary at that time, working in a bank. And I was saying, uh, when I graduated, and I was saying, I'm not going to do this. But I needed the money, to be honest with you. And they were going to pay me $50 a week. I needed that. I didn't have any job. So I went to work. And, you know, God used that little country church with six members to call me to be a pastor he said, this is what you need to do. So that's really how I got into pastoring. Wow, I love that story. And I, I love the fact that you never really know what God has for your future, right? Psalms 119, 105. It says, you know, Absolutely. thy word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. But it's not like it's a big giant flashlight, right, with high beams or anything. It's this little tiny candle, and we only get to see the next right step for us. That's right. And so I put out the word uh, with a couple of friends around the country that if any church was willing to uh, look at me who needed a pastor, I would be willing to look at them. So that's why I moved to Dallas County, and I started pastoring uh, a church in Dallas County where the, where the guy broke, uh, accidentally slid into my driveway. So that was the start of prison ministry. So God really has a sense of humor, doesn't he? You, you say for a long time, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that. Oh, yeah, let me show you what I have for you, Vance. I know. And that's been, that's been the story of my whole life. I have sort of fallen into things. I haven't really planned my life at all, um, but I've fallen into a lot of things that the Lord opened up uh, the doors for me. So, so after I was uh, working, I'll just continue with that little story, I began working three hours a week in the Dallas County Jail, and then after a year, the head of that prison ministry asked me to come work full-time for him. After some back and forth, uh, I didn't really want to do that. I told him no at first because I liked this church. Then I decided that I would go to work for him a couple months later, and so I began working in that uh, volunteer ministry, but with compensation uh, in, the, in the jail and the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. And then after two years of that, I decided I wanted to be a prison chaplain, so I applied for a job at the old East Ham, 100-year-old East Ham prison, and I went to work there in January of, or February of 1985 and, and stayed in that prison as a chaplain for 27 years. And then... And then I wanted to stay there. I wanted to retire from there, but people in our headquarters in Huntsville had other ideas, and, and three of them came to visit me one day and encouraged me to apply for an open position, a supervisory position. So I ended up being the director of chaplains for the Texas Department of Criminal Justice uh, until I last several years until I retired. Wow, what an impressive impressive story but i have to imagine you know you didn't just wake up one day and you know you, you you did tell me about how god kind of changed the direction of your heart but you weren't automatically skilled at it from the get-go i mean were there people that kind of poured into you and helped you to get better at this ministry and better understand how to minister to people in this regard absolutely the main one was a man named emmett solomon now gone to his heavenly reward. He was the chaplain at 
at the prison where I went to, the East Ham Prison in East Texas, uh, for 18 years before I came. And then after he left East Ham, he became our director of chaplains, and he was always a mentor for me. Whenever I needed to talk to somebody, I would call him, and I know he was busy, but every time I called, he acted like he was he was totally focused on what my needs were and why I called. So he was definitely a uh, mentor for me. I love it. And you said you've been doing this for 40 years. So what right. kind of life changes have you seen in prisoners that you minister? I would imagine that a lot of the listeners may not be familiar with prison ministry or all the things that go into it. So can you just share a little bit about you know what that ministry does for people and you know maybe what you do on a regular basis to help to change a person's life? Absolutely. Uh, you know, Jesus said in the great chapter in Matthew 25, when he talked about the sheep and the goats, he said uh, in verse 36, I was in prison and you came to visit me. He didn't say you came to do anything much except visit. Yes. And so inmates really appreciate a visit. And so um, changes I've seen, I'll give you one or two stories, short stories here. Uh, there was a man who came to prison. He was an inmate. He was in the Harris County Jail, that is Houston, and he came to the Lord through the ministry of a little uh, preacher, that one of these Bible-thumping preachers that came through the jail, mm-hmm. and he preached the good news. He told him that God has a better plan for his life than the plan he was on. And so he came to the, to the Lord, and then he went to court and got his aggravated life sentence. Aggravated is worse than life because it's, uh, use a deadly weapon in the commission of your crime. So he came to the prison, and this man, his first name was Andre, now deceased, uh, outside of prison. He uh, did more than anybody else to change, to transform the East Ham prison. And uh, East Ham was a notorious prison. Uh, Clyde Barrow of Bonnie and Clyde was incarcerated there 90 years ago, and it was a bloody bad prison in 1985, in fact, uh, the year I came. In fact, in 1986, Newsweek magazine came out with a cover story titled Inside America's Toughest Prison, and we all read it, and we said, man, this is about the prison we're working at. Wow. And I said to myself, if I'd known that, I'm not sure I would have come here. Yeah. But I was there, and so Andre Johnson came in 1986, one year after I did, with his aggravated life. And he always showed up in church and Sunday school and everything else. And in those days, and still today, uh, many programs in the prison are facilitated by inmates. And so uh, Emmett Solomon, the chaplain there before me, Mm -hmm. had set up a group of inmate uh, facilitators, and they all taught Sunday school. And they were great teachers because most of them had long sentences. Many of them had life sentences. They may teach for 10, 20 years, and they studied the Bible, and they knew the Bible, and they had a gift of teaching the Bible. Mm-hmm. And so Andre taught, I asked him uh, after about a year, would you be willing to teach a Sunday school class? And he said, yes, I think I would like to try that. And so he taught Sunday school. He was our choir director uh, intermittently through those years, and he was a great, great influence. Uh, spiritual influence on that prison, and that prison transformed. It was great to see it happen. 
Amen. I love it. You know, you have been such a blessing to so many people, I have to imagine, over 40 years, but you don't stop there. I mean, you're also a pastor. And so I I wonder, one, why the call to be dual-headed, but two, you know, what is the hardest thing you've had to do in that role? You know, as that pastor that's ministering to a completely different group of people, completely different context, but equally difficult. I I would have to imagine, you know, both of those roles— not quite the same thing, but very challenging in their own right. That's right. Uh, so, uh, briefly, in the pastorate, I pastor a country church in East Texas. It's 118 years old, and uh, I was uh, called by one of their leaders uh, in 19, uh, 1999, and they said, Our pastor is ill and he later died that same year, they said, would you be willing to be our pastor? And so this is just being open to God. I didn't call them, they called me. Yeah. And so I said, well, you know I have another job, because I wasn't about to leave my prison job, because I loved it so much. And they said, we know, but we think you could do what we need. I had done some supply preaching for them when their pastor go on vacation, so they had heard me a number of times. And they said, we know... Uh, that you have another job, but we think you can do what we need, meaning we don't need much because we're old and we're tired. And so (laughs) I went to pastor that church. I'm still there. I'm in my 23rd year there. And during that time, every member of that old church died, uh, except for one person who was there this morning. And she's 89 years old and and, uh, in very good health. She'll live to be 100, I expect. So... um, I just came into that, and I had a challenge there. I've had challenges in the prison and the church, but, you know, life is full of challenges. So with God, God helps us through our challenges, and the main thing he's taught me, both in the prison and the church, is perseverance and patience. Amen. Perseverance and patience go so far, a long, long ways, and the Lord has blessed both the prison and the church ministry, uh, and as those... People were passing away. I, uh, the other people came in. So today we had church, and we're still going. So it's a small church. It's a country church out across in a field, but it's a good, good group. Well, Dr. John, we've got about a minute and a half left, but I really want to ask you, you know, as somebody that's got 40 years of prison ministry experience and you've pastored for so long, what advice would you give to someone that's trying to determine what field of ministry that they want to go in, where has God called them? You know, maybe they definitely feel a tug at their heartstrings, but they're not quite sure what direction to go in. And you talked about God doesn't do things by accident. So how would you encourage somebody to listen to God's call, to the really hear the well, heart of God? Yeah, that's a great, great question. What I say is follow your dreams, follow your inclinations as they are given by God, uh, your good dreams, your good inclinations, your positive stuff. Uh, don't give in to the negative stuff that the evil one is always trying to trap us and trick us with. Yep. But um, I was inter- here's an example. I was interested in the Bible, and so I went to Gordon Conwell Seminary to learn the Bible. I didn't go to study to be a pastor. And so I didn't, did not take the Master of Divinity course. I studied the Master of Theological Studies course okay. just to learn. Yep. But God used that later on 
And when I applied to be a prison chaplain, the director at that time asked me one question. He said, have you completed your seminary education? And I said, yes, because I had a degree. Yep. And so I had no idea that that Gordon Conwell degree would help me 11 years later, uh, but it certainly did. And so I say, just stay open to God, pray about things. You know, God had to get through my stubbornness and my resistance by saying, I'm not going to be a pastor, not going to be a minister, but it worked. I love it. Amen. Dr. Joan, thank you so very much for sharing your story, for sharing your ministry experiences, and really just being open to being on the program today. Thank you so much for being here. You're welcome, Paul. My pleasure. All right. When we come back from the break, we're going to reflect on the lessons of servant leadership that we've heard from today's guests. So stay with us. We'll be right back. I gotta get up, keep on trying. I gotta go find my own way. Gotta find the treasure inside me. Tomorrow is a new. You're listening to Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough, a Jacob Media Production. And welcome back to Serving Our Nation on News Talk 1400 WOND. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and as we close out today's show, let's just briefly talk about what we've heard from our guests today. So very much to unpack, and I just want to briefly touch on a few things. You know, in the area of serving in your business or the workplace, I love how Glenn was talking about as an adjunct professor, one of the greatest joys that he has is when a student comes back and says, you know, I really learned so much from what you taught me. I really appreciate all that you poured into me and I've been able to learn from that and bring it back. So, you know, what the real important thing is you never know whose life you're going to affect. You never know how much of an impact that you're going to make on people. And then when you think about serving in your community, you heard Dr. Drum talk about people love to be visited in prison. And Jesus talks about being able to go and visit the prisoner. So it could be something just as simple as going to visit people that are in prison. I remember when I was in company command uh, a number of years ago as a young captain, and there was a couple of soldiers that got themselves in trouble. And I took time out of my day just to go and see them um, at the local facility because they were still part of my unit. And it was important to me that they knew that even though that they had gotten themselves in trouble, they were still part of my unit. They were still part of the command and I still cared for them. And so, you know, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend, or maybe you just go to the jail and randomly visit people just to say, you know what, I wouldn't just care and let you know that there's somebody here that's praying for you. There's people here that care about you. When you talk about serving others through faith, both gentlemen talked about being open to God. And you heard Dr. Drum talk about, you know, God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't do things by accident. And so maybe serving people through your faith is just being open to God and what he wants to do in your life. And not saying it's all about my way and what I want to do and my hopes and my dreams. It's what God has for your life. The plan that he has for you. The good works that he has planned for you. When you think about serving people in the military, I, I love what Glenn was talking about earlier. He served as a chaplain 
for a number of years. He became a full colonel, went to the War College, and he had such humility about that. But even in that regard, he was able to take those circumstances, take all those years of serving as a chaplain, and then convert that into helping people with suicide prevention. And so, you know, when you think about how you can serve the military, maybe you are a service member that's listening today. Maybe you're a veteran. It could be something as simple as making an ask, taking a bit of risk, like Glenn was talking about, and asking somebody, hey, I've observed some things from you, a little bit of different behavior that I haven't really seen in you before. Are you thinking of hurting yourself? Because if you are, I'm here for you and I want to help you and you know, you matter to me. Your life means something. You're not worthless and there's hope for you and there's help for you. And then even just serving your family. My goodness, when Glenn talked about the balance, right? You have to have balance in your life. You need to be diligent and taking time for yourself, taking time to be with your spouse, taking time to be with your kids. So, so very important to do those things. And so when I look back at what both gentlemen are talking about, you know, there's just a couple of really important takeaways. And I think that is follow your dreams and being able to help people in every way possible. And you can do that in any walk of life, whether it be your community or the military or your family. You just want to follow your dreams because God will put opportunities in front of you. And You know, things in life, they may take us by surprise, but the effects that they have on our future and other people's lives, they're going to be profound. Things that will last for a lifetime, and you can just look back and see the goodness of God and how He has blessed you, and then you're able, in turn, to bless other people. Really quick, I'm going to just talk to you about when, again, this concept, when you put good into the universe, it comes back to you. Yesterday, I had an opportunity to do a serve project with some students at Kingsway Leadership School at the church. And we put together 250 sandwiches for a local food kitchen. And on the top of the bags that had those sandwiches, we put words of encouragement. And those words, I think, the spiritual nourishment are more important than the physical nourishment. And the blessing to me You know, it was really good to be able to go out and feed those people and give them physical and spiritual nourishment. But I was blessed just being around other believers, being in a situation where I'm putting other people first and serving with other people. That was such a blessing to me because it gives me a chance to live out my faith in action. Such a blessing. And it really warmed my heart to do that. And I would encourage you to do the same thing. Listen, if you haven't already done it, I would encourage you to sign up for my Spotify and Apple podcast mailing list, and you can do that on my website at reverenddrpaul.com. Check out the show tab for previous episodes of this program. Finally, as you go about your week, no matter where you're at, always ask, how can I help? Thanks for listening, and join us again next week.